Light shines whenever people gather together for purposes of goodwill. Light shines in the eyes of people who care for others and receive care in their turn. Light shines when truths are spoken and experiences shared. So welcome everybody, welcome to Kensington Unitarians. This is the first Sunday in Advent, the time when the Christian church calendar begins its new year and begins the month leading up to Christmas. How are you feeling on this morning, which is nippy outside, but far too warm in here? <laughs> Some of us are regretting our thermal underlayer. In this room, we probably together contain a wide range on the spectrum of human possibilities. From sleepy to alert, weary to energetic, feeling great to feeling awful, anxious to optimistic. So let's just take a moment to turn inwards and to acknowledge in silence how we are this morning. Perhaps what is in our minds and in our hearts. And having acknowledged how we are right now, in this coming hour that we're going to spend together, perhaps some of those thoughts and feelings can actually be laid to one side for a while, allowing us to align ourselves with something greater, be that the strength of a community or our sense of God, the divine, our connections with one another or with our natural world. I think it's good to remember particularly when times are challenging. We are part of something greater than ourselves. And we're entering now the dark time of the year, aren't we? When a symbol of light can be very cheering. And so enjoy looking at our candle flames this morning as such a symbol, with flames representing the triumph of hope in dark hours, the power of love to overcome evil, the strength of human warmth and courage in the face of adversity. So may we all know and use our abilities to be as lights shining in the darkness. And when dark times are sailors, may we be guided along life's path by the shining lights that others bring us. Dick Whittington and his cat. I bet you've all heard the story of Dick Whittington, the poor lad who set off for London to try and make his fortune. He'd often heard stories about this faraway city called London, where everybody was rich and the streets were paved with gold. But what you don't hear often enough about is me, his cat. Well, if it hadn't been for me, Dick Whittington would never have made it. We set off for London together and we walked a long, long, long way and once we got to London, what do you think it was like? Do you think the streets were paved with gold? Do you? <laughs> That's right, I don't think so. So when we reached the big city, Dick couldn't believe his eyes. He could see horses, carriages, hundreds of people, great tall buildings, but nowhere could he see any gold. What a disappointment. How was he going to make his fortune? How was he even going to buy food? Yes. 
I'd be shocked as well. I played with my Lego for a while. I wasn't hungry. There were so many London rats and London mice for me to chase and catch and eat, but Dick didn't, Dick didn't fancy chewing a rat's tail for his tea. Would you? Would you? It's not a rhetorical question. Good. It's pantomime time. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. But seriously, though, as if there was something funny I just said. But it was all because of my rat-catching skills that Dick landed a job in a big fancy house where he cleaned the kitchen floors and where I had to catch the rats and mice all day long. Well, the house belonged to a rich merchant, and one day Dick heard the merchant asking everyone in the house if they wanted to send anything on board his ship that they thought they could sell. The ship was going on a long voyage to the other side of the world, and the captain would sell everything on the ship so they could all make some money. Uh, but poor Dick. <laughs> what could he sell? Suddenly, a thought came to him. Please, sir, will you take my cat? Well, that's me. <laughs> Dick Whittington planned to sell me. Everyone burst out laughing, but the merchant smiled and said, Yes, Dick, I will, and all the money from her sale, her, that's me, all the money from her sale will go to you. And that's how I got to sail across the world to another land. The people there were so pleased to see us arrive. They didn't get many visitors around there, and their king and queen were so delighted that they invited us all to a feast. But, uh, believe it or not, as soon as the food was brought in, hundreds of rats appeared as if by magic and it all up before they had a chance to eat. So, next time they planned a fancy supper, they called me in. Ding! And I did what cats do best. I slept. No, I ate all the rats and all the mice, every single one of them. The king and queen danced for joy and gave the merchant a ship full of gold in return for me. A very special cat. When the ship returned to London without me, Dick was so overwhelmed with the amount of gold the merchant gave him for me, his cat, he'd been so miserable that he'd nearly left London, but he'd heard the bells of Bow Church mysteriously ringing out and giving him a message, Turn again, Dick Whittington, three times Lord Mayor of London. Over the years, they say Dick Whittington used his money so wisely and did so much good for all the people around him that he was elected Lord Mayor of the City of London three times. And they all lived happily ever after, as people do in story. But nobody ever asks what's happened to me. Dick Whittington's cat. Thank you so much, Anthony. That was the perfect role for you. And that leads us now into a time of prayer and reflection. It's, um, it's a prayer for all who migrate. At this time of year, we've said goodbye to migratory birds, the swallows and the swifts, who've left our northern lands to make that long journey to lands beyond the Sahara, where hopefully food will be plentiful for them. And we know that millions of people have likewise made journeys across the surface of our planet this year for so many reasons. 
so let us pray for all creatures who migrate. Here in this world of form and matter, where all living beings move towards pleasure and away from pain, where all creatures seek to survive and prosper, let us pray for all who make journeys of migration. Let us honour the adventurous spirit that pushes people to seek better situations for themselves and their families. For surely we know that spirit within ourselves. Let us with humility acknowledge the fear and desperation that forces some people to leave beloved homelands and seek places of refuge, safety, liberty and justice. In other lands where people speak a different language and may not always be welcoming. And as we pray, may we never forget those who are trapped by warfare, by poverty, by tyrannical regimes, that we might never forget to be grateful for the freedoms of our own lives and that we may find ways to support those who seek greater freedom to be who they truly are. And so may all who are fortunate seek to find ways to share good fortune with others and may we also admit to any mean-spirited or fearful parts of ourselves that want to keep the stranger out, in fear, perhaps, that there is not enough to go around. Let us pray for the leaders of our world that they may be inspired to think in new ways to resolve long-standing problems, and that they may never take for granted the privileges of their position but rather with humility, seek paths of equality and fairness. May all of humanity be guided towards new ways of thinking and behaving so that we find ways to share what the earth provides more equally and that the truth that there is enough for all may be lived out in practice. And this day, let us send our thoughts and prayers to all who make journeys, to all who are affected by warfare, famine or drought, to all who risk their own lives rescuing others in distress. Spirit of love, guide us in ways to give life the shape of justice and compassion, this day and all days. Amen. Now, I'm going to read to you one very unambiguous quotation, or rather, a piece of a drama by Shakespeare, who normally is not easy to pin down, but in this piece he is very clear. It, uh, he was asked to do a, a revision of a speech for Thomas Moore, who had the task 
of calming down rioters in London who were making a big uproar against Huguenot strangers who had come and settled there. So more attempts to calm the crowd and to enforce the sovereign's protection. So the law said they are permitted, they should be here. An anti-immigrant populist whipping up the crowd demands, shall these enjoy more privilege than we in our own country? Hearing the rioters' fears of seeing their livelihood diminished by the competition with the strangers, Moore suggests that they suppose themselves in their shoes and activate their capacity for empathic identification. That's a modern way of expressing what Shakespeare is actually saying here. Imagine that you see the wretched strangers, their babies at their backs and their poor luggage, plodding to the ports and coasts for transportation and that you sit as kings in your desires, authority quite silent by your brawl, and you in wrath of your opinions closed. What had you got? I tell you. You had taught how insolence and strong hand should prevail how order should be quelled, and by this pattern, not one of you should live to be an aged man. For other ruffians, as their fancies wrought, with self-same hand, self-reasons and self-right, would sharp on you, and men like ravenous fishes would feed on one another. Say now the king, should so much come too short of your great trespass as but to banish you, whither would you go? What country, by the nature of your error, should give you a harbour? Go you to France, or Flanders, to any German port, to Spain or Portugal, nay, anywhere that not adheres to England. Why? You must needs be strangers. Would you be pleased to find a nation of such barbarous temper that breaking out in hideous violence would not afford you an abode on earth? Wet their detested knives against your throats span you like dogs and like as if that God owed not or made not you nor that the claimants weren't at all appropriate to your comforts but chartered unto them what would you think to be thus used this is the stranger's case and this your mountainish inhumanity.
We're entering the, the meditative time of our service now. There's going to be a short spoken meditation that will lead us into a time of shared silence and stillness together. Then there'll be a chime from our bell and then there'll be some beautiful music, um, Mozart's Benedictus, to rouse us all once more. And our, our words for meditation, I'm only going to use a few of them, but they're, they're written by somebody called uh, Rob Richards. And he's working through the idea that, um, that God has no borders. You know, that, that every border that we view on a map, of course, has been drawn by a human hand and in truth does not have eternal meaning. So just find any, any way that you can be comfortable for these next few minutes. Maybe put down anything that you don't need in your hands. as we, we acknowledge that it is we humans who are the line drawers and the border makers, the boundary takers and the census makers, drawing a line to separate this from that so we can see clearly what each is, creating borders to define our place so we can take care of what's there. And we congregate within those boundaries in our tribes and our cities and our countries. And we call people on the other side of the line, them. But our minds seek boundaries that our hearts know not. The lines we draw disappear when viewed with eyes of compassion. The recognition of human kinship does not end at any border. A wise part of us knows that the other is us and we them. God has no borders. Love has no borders. Let's ponder that in stillness together.
we have um, a new uh, newsletter out, so do uh, be sure to take your copy away with you. And in there you'll find um, an extract from W.H. Uh, Auden's uh, poem, Refugee Blues, which Carol recommended. And I just so wanted to draw your attention to it. Um, we haven't put the whole poem in the newsletter, but it's available online or I can get you a copy. I think it's one of those poems that it's, it's worth returning to. Partly because it's a very ordinary couple who by life chance are suddenly uprooted from a very ordinary life like so many of us live and suddenly are faced with horror as they left Hitler's Germany. Say, this city has 10 million souls. Some are living in mansions, some are living in holes. Yeah, there's no place for us, my dear. Yeah, there's no place for us. Once we had a country and we thought it fair. Look in the atlas and you'll find it there. And we cannot go there now, my dear. We cannot go there now. Went to a committee, uh, they offered me a chair, they asked me politely to return next year. But where shall we go today, my dear? Where shall we go today? Came to a public meeting. The speaker got up and said, if we let them in, they'll steal our daily bread. And he was talking of you and me, my dear. He was talking of you and me. Thought I heard the thunder rumbling in the sky. It was Hitler over Europe saying, they must die. We were in his mind, my dear. We were in his mind. Last year, um, here at Essex Church, we heard, held a playback theatre afternoon on the subject of migration, hosted by our very own Veronica. You'll remember it well, I suspect, Veronica. Imagine this central table as representing London, and we were asked to place ourselves around the room to show how far we travelled from the place where we were born to be together that afternoon in London. We could imagine doing it now, couldn't we, for, for this community. If the table's London, I think there might be a few people who were born here, one or two, standing right there at the centre. And I'm from the north of England. I don't know if anybody is prepared to compete with me as to how far north Sheffield is. <laughs> Can anybody claim a birthplace further north than Sheffield? No Scots today? Any Welsh? We've come from all over the place, and some people have travelled from other European lands or from other continents to be with us here. And engaging in such an exercise, the best bit of it was that it requires conversations, checking of details, giving one another information about ourselves. It was fun, it was illuminating, and it certainly left us in no doubt that London is a cosmopolitan city, a city made of people from all around our world. If you'd like to think more about what cosmopolitan means in this day and age, then I highly recommend to you this year's Reef Lectures. Um, they've been delivered by uh, philosopher Kwame Anthony Appiah, and we've used his quotation on the front of the Order of Service sheet. He wrote a book on cosmopolitanism about global ethics. Um, 
and his quotation says, the challenge then is to take minds and hearts formed over the long millennia of living in local troops and equip them with ideas and institutions that will allow us to live together as the global tribe that we have become. Today's service is exploring the idea of a theology of migration. Migration meaning movement from one part of our world to another. In the great span of human existence here on our planet Earth home, of course, migration has been the rule rather than the exception. Early human existence was nomadic, groups of people following the movements of herds of animals in order to hunt, being attracted to places where foodstuffs could be gathered at different times of the year. I always think of such people when I'm collecting blackberries in the autumn. What a treat it must have been to find the best berries. Only as human numbers increased and as farming took over from hunting and gathering as the primary means of feeding ourselves, did groups of people start to identify themselves with a particular area of land. Concepts such as nationhood and empire began, although they were a long way away, even so, from the quite romantic notions that we have to this day as to what makes us British or any other nationality. So migration is nothing new. People have always moved about. These movements might be temporary or permanent, forced or voluntary, but it always contains elements of ambiguity and uncertainty. It's not easy, is it, to leave one's homeland? And there are people here who could tell you just what it was like for them. It's not easy to leave behind family and friends and all that is familiar. It's not easy for people to receive newcomers. The movement of people brings up ancient fears of being overwhelmed, of there not being enough to go around. Although migration has been a constant in human history, yet I am not surprised to hear some people speaking of our time as the age of migration, because there are some unique features to life on Earth today. Global travel has become easier, or at least more feasible. The world population is increasing at a remarkable rate. Climate change is bringing an ever greater strain on various developing countries to cope with both drought and floods and all the added problems that is bringing to traditional ways of farming. And ours is a digital age. This brings several new features to human movement. Our digital connection means that people the world over get glimpses of life in other lands. Imagine being a teenager a teenager living in a developing country where your future is uncertain, where it is unclear how you will ever earn a living, where perhaps old traditions hold you back, preventing you from being fully yourself, and where the land cannot any longer feed all of your relations. If you spent just a day looking at Western TV ads or watching movies, wouldn't that alight a hope in you for something more? I'm increasingly concerned by the aspirational nature of popular culture, designed as it is to awaken a yearning for more, for better, aimed as it often is at the young and the poor, the people least able to realise such aspirations. 
And another feature of a digital world on the move is that we get to see in sometimes graphic detail and read about the struggles of people attempting to escape from dreadful situations. Now this may awaken our compassion. It may also lead to that unpleasant term, compassion fatigue, as another image of a dead or traumatized child flicks before us, or of hundreds of human beings, people just like us, shown clinging to a capsized boat. Such images have to become ever more graphic. These news stories have to become ever more shocking in order to deserve a place on the front page of our busy media world. And the numbers involved in migration today are hard for us to comprehend. The United Nations estimates that more than 3% of the world's population now live in a country other than the one in which they were born. If all these people were placed together, they would create the fifth most populous country. But they're not together. They are scattered across our globe in places we haven't generally heard of. But if you listen to some news sources, you'd think that all of them were pressed up against the southern coast of England or the southern states of North America. But in truth, most refugees are living in camps hosted by some of the poorest countries of the world, living in their millions in dreadful situations, not able to return home. The Abrahamic religions of Judaism, Christianity and Islam all are based on stories of migration and all emphasize an ethic of welcoming the stranger. You might remember the story from Genesis of three strangers arriving and being greeted by Abraham, who gave them the customary desert welcome of food and water and washing of feet. And these angelic beings are revealed as God who blesses Abraham and all his family. That scene's referred to in various places in the New Testament including the New Testament letter to the Hebrews, where the unknown writer reminds their readers, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Such a message reminds me of Jesus's description of himself, that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And aren't we all just passing through in this world? And couldn't any of us, with a slight turn of fate, find ourselves as strangers in a strange land, as Shakespeare was telling us in that reading earlier on? Current political discourse the world over is at times reverting to old ways of governing, divide and rule, turn ordinary people against one another, stoke the fears of there not being enough to go around in order to gain support for repressive laws. Such campaigns niggle away at our fear of the other, the stranger, the one who is not us. Such campaigns use statistics and scare stories and loaded words to steer public opinion. And they seek to dehumanize those who are seemingly different from us. They emphasize the difference of ethnicity and language and belief, and they underplay all that we share. Our beating hearts, our hopes and our fears, our yearnings for a better life. So let's watch out for us and them messages 
in the days and months and years ahead and find ways to change it to a greater truth, which is us and us. We are all human. We know the truth that God has no borders, no favorites, no limits. And we are all well and truly in this together. Humanity is on the move. Our planet is changing as she has throughout her 4.5 billion years of existence. And I would like to be able to express complete confidence in everything working out all right, out all right in the end. Like Dick Whittington and his cat, admittedly on different sides of the globe, but both of them living happily ever after. But life is no fairy story. There is no happy ending to this. Just real life, real problems, real challenges ahead. But let's find ways to behave that make us proud to be human rather than ashamed. Perhaps just small ways, yet nonetheless significant to reach out to another, knowing that their story could so easily be ours. Amen. We live on a planet where there is enough for everyone. Enough space, enough food, enough air, enough water. How then shall we live? May we be guided to live justly, compassionately, fairly and with love always in our hearts. Recognizing the divine potential in all that exists reaching out a hand to all in need. Amen. Mm.